Hunter, and as always, I am joined by the kid, BJ Armstrong. And BJ, last night we saw history. Steph Curry, Stephen Curry, Wardell Stephen Curry <laughs> is now second all-time on the three-point uh, list in NBA history behind just Ray Allen now. Uh, you know Del Curry. I know Steph Curry. Uh, it was a historical moment, but it was cool to see Steph uh, you know, get that get that moment because he's been such a pioneer in the game so far. Yes, it was. And congratulations to Steph Curry for all of his achievements, but in particular, you know, this one being second all time, but right behind Ray Allen, you know, just past the great Reggie Miller. Yep. And, you know, Steph Curry's really ushered in, or he is the face of this new movement in the way the game is played. When you talk about three-point shooting, Without question, you're going to think of Steph Curry. And, you know, I never imagined when I saw that young man play there at Davidson, I never imagined (laughs) years prior to that, seeing this little kid come to practice with his dad, always challenging everyone in three-point shooting (laughs) contests back then, and he could barely get the ball to the rim. But congratulations to him and the Curry family. And uh, what what, what great people... I had an opportunity to play with, you know, to get a chance to know his his mom and his dad, Sonia and Dale, and all of a sudden see Steph and what he's been able to achieve, and the whole, you know, both of them, and mm. uh, it's just it's just remarkable to watch because he's not doing it in the traditional way. I mean, he's shooting at such a high clip with volume shooting in a mm-hmm. variety of ways, not just catching shooting. He's shooting off the dribble. He's shooting pin downs, pull-ups. It just seemed like he just, every way possible, he's figured out how to master the ability to shoot the ball and shoot it with such accuracy. So congratulations to him. And, um, you know, Ray Allen, you know, he's keeping that seat warm. I think Steph (laughs) Curry is coming. Jesus is up next. Yes, I think Steph Curry is on the (laughs) way. I mean, he's there. And and, uh, what an incredible, incredible achievement. Absolutely. And I think uh, one thing that, that always sticks in my mind, I remember before the 09 draft, Don Nelson, who's the coach uh, of the Warriors at the time, he said that Steph Curry was the best passer in the draft. And uh, I remember thinking that was so such a strange thing to say because I always thought of Steph as a shooter. And I think, you know, his game... Uh, it's not just a shooter, but it's also we have to give credit where credit is due and make sure we pay homage to the fact that this is the skill that is going to last beyond you know his basketball playing days. So we give him that shout out, um, and they deserve that. The whole Curry family, they have been uh, you know great representatives of Charlotte. You know, as a North Carolina guy for quite some time, so uh, it, it was it was good to see him have that moment for sure. Yes, it was. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I remember that draft in particular, and. Every now and then, you see things you've never seen before. And and I always like to say one of the phrases that I learned in this business, in the, the sporting world or the basketball business is, you haven't scouted till you've been wrong. Mm-hmm. Or there are a lot of people wrong on Steph Curry, whether they want to admit it or not. Yep. There were a lot of people that were wrong. Myself included, I didn't see this coming. And... I could see how someone could say he was the best passer because he was really one of the first young guards that I've seen pass the ball with either hand off of screen roll. You know, that's something you learn in the NBA 
and you 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 kind of knew you had to do it because of the way the NBA game was played back then. Because people were holding on to your one arm, you had to figure out how to pass with one arm, with mm-hmm. one hand. I mean, and Steph Curry had mastered that in college. It was yep. pretty impressive. But the three point shooting and all of the things that you have seen and you're currently seeing, no one expected this. No mm-hmm. one. So I could see how Don Nelson could say that, but I certainly didn't see the <laughs> dominance that he has been able to carve out in that five or six year window when they were literally in the finals every year and um, winning <laughs> yep, three out of the five. Years. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. And I think that Steph Curry, you know, you and I, you know, just talking about a basketball, you know, mythology of things, the thing that the reason why a lot of people thought, I mean, I remember Dave Tellup had his top 100 when he was in high school and the last spot he was like, I almost put Steph Curry there, but he wasn't going to an ACC school or anywhere else. He was going to Davidson. So I didn't put him there. But, you know, he was like, that was one of my biggest regrets of my career. And I think going into the NBA, there was a, a belief in basketball circles, you know, just based on history that that would be a bad shot. You know, a lot of the shot, like even Steve Kerr in 2014, 2015, you know, he would look over and say, that was a bad shot, but not for Steph, you know? And I think that's what Steph actually, he changed basketball because he broke, he was good enough to break the ideology of what is a bad shot. You know what I mean? He was able to supersede that because he was able to, you know, make them. And it's been, and, and the fallout has not been the best, right? Because then we have a lot of people jacking up quote unquote bad shots. But Steph was one of those guys that is like singular in his ability to do that, I think. And that, that's one of his legacies. Well, you know, uh, as I, game. as I think about it, you know, people say bad shots, you know, <laughs> There was a idea in the NBA, especially early on, where there was no such thing as a bad shot, mm. you know? And there were some who took it either to another step or to another level. You, you know, like my good friend, Vernon Maxwell. There were, <laughs> Mad Max. <laughs> there were no bad shots in his vocabulary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, you, you yeah. don't say... Matt took a bad shot. It might be a bad shot in your system. It might be a bad... Mm-hmm. Okay. George Gerving. There were no mm. bad shots. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Yep. Okay. So the idea was there. Okay? John Starks. Yep. You know, there were players who had already... You know, Bernard King, for instance... Mm-hmm. You know, there were players who already, you know, had this ability. Now, when I first got to Chicago, I don't know if Michael Jordan knew what a bad shot was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really don't. The thing that was so impressive about Michael Jordan was the accuracy in which he was making those shots. That's what brought about the oohs and the eyes. Mm-hmm. Think about what I'm saying. He wasn't sh- he was shooting over 50% as a volume shooter. Now, the difference between Jordan and then the next wave of young players. When I saw I- Allen Iverson was the first time I saw a volume shooter who didn't have the responsibility of having to shoot a high percentage. Mm-hmm. That was a game changer. <laughs> so, if you shoot 30 times in a game and you make over 15 of them 
that's carrying an enormous responsibility. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the game changed when Allen Iverson came in. He wasn't shooting over 50%. That was that changed the idea. Now, the reason I'm bringing up Allen Iverson, because Allen Iverson was the exact opposite of Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. AI was getting to the rim. Yep. He was getting it, you know, like the, the one song says, you know, he lived in the paint like AI shoes. Mm-hmm. AI was in the paint, yep. crossing over, getting there, getting knocked down. Because he wasn't, he was only about 165 pounds, maybe <laughs> soaking wet. Yeah. But he would get back up, keep playing, and he kept so much pressure on you on the defense that, you know, when he did get it going, you know, that gave them a chance to win. Steph Curry was the exact opposite. He was shooting with such distance, mm-hmm. but with like phenomenal accuracy. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's key. That's mm-hmm. key, Tate. That's a key. You know, we've seen a lot of players or people in this league who can score points, but not at the distance and the accuracy that Steph Curry is doing it. Mm-hmm. That It was a shot. You play the percentages, right? That was like the, the he, that was the belief for so long. You say, hey, you want to take the 30-foot jumper? Take it. You know, I'll take right. that over. You driving past me and laying it up every time. It, and Steph changed that. Steph changed. That's, that's the key idea. Now. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people shooting a lot of threes right now. And my question is, why are they shooting? Because they're not shooting with <laughs> such accuracy. But that yeah. is the idea in today's game. That's what Steph really mastered was you saw a lot of players score. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scored at a very high clip. Mm-hmm. Wilt Chamberlain. These players score. You've seen scores. You've just seen a score. You never have seen a score shoot and score with this type of accuracy at the distance he was playing from. That's yeah. the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so, you know, I, I that's why I applaud him is because he's not hot. The rest of us are hot, was hot. You know, when you're in that zone like that, you know, you just got things going. I've never seen someone shoot with this level of consistency. Mm-hmm. Whether he's catch and shoot, dribble going to his left, dribble going to his right. Dribbling in transitioning, pin downs, screen downs, one leg, right leg. He just does it in ways that you're going, this guy is perhaps the best shot maker we've seen at that distance. It, absolutely. And I think, you know, one thing that I have witnessed just in the uh, the new iteration of Steph post the, the finals, post the Warriors, you know, super team, whatever you want to say, was, you know, the 2016 version of Steph, you have the Kevin Love moment. You know, Kyrie hits the three. Kevin Love comes out on him. He's not able to create enough separation there, and he doesn't get off a great shot. And, you know, we, we, we the, the rest goes on in history. And then the other night, they're playing the Lakers. AD, who's probably more of an active defender, one of the best defenders in basketball, same sort of deal, switches out on Steph. But Steph wanted the switch. He tried to get the switch on the AD, and then he cooked him up real quick and hit the shot. You know what I mean? I can see his game has evolved as well, and I think that's what was always fun with Steph. Like, I saw the growing pains over the years, and we saw him get to the point of a championship, and I think you and I have always had an appreciation. We talked about Tim Duncan. We talked about Kobe, the guys that, you know, kind of grew into the guy, um, and 
you know, the journey's always fun for that kind of stuff. I want to ask you about uh, something else that's uh, brewing in the NBA, BJ. That's rivalries. Um, we had these back-to-back games that are happening in the NBA where you go, you play one game, you stay in the city, play the same team again. And uh, we finally saw it pop up into a real beef with the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers. Who else? <laughs> uh, but, but Marcus Smart and Joel Embiid, uh, they, they are arguing over who is actually flopping, uh, who, who is getting fouled, who is playing the game straight up. <laughs> that was really funny. Uh, I, I thought that was a great back and forth, and I thought I, I think the NBA has done a good job with the idea of having these, you know, back to back games because a lot of times, you know, you kind of play a team and you move on, you don't see them for three weeks, four weeks, but now it's you play them, you have a hard fought game, you might go to overtime, and wait, you'll see them the next day, you know, and uh, I think it's been fun. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting. It's kind of unique to see because, you know, I've. Again, it's something that's new for me, so I'm kind of getting yep. used to it. Yep, same here. And, yep. you know, I'm trying to think about how you would approach that professionally as a player. Yep. I don't I don't like it as a player because <laughs> when you play, it allows the opponent to make adjustments in the regular season. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you just... You see someone and you'll see them the first one time and then you'll say, well, I may not see them again until, you know. I, I just out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. yeah. Well, all of a sudden now when I'm seeing this player, I got to play against this player for eight quarters. Mm-hmm. Makes it an entirely different game. And what I don't like about these back-to-back is suddenly now – it reminds me more of the collegiate game because now coaching and strategy comes into play. Yep. Where where the game belongs clearly to the players. Maybe that's why I'm enjoying it so much because I, I, I see and, the coach I see Spolstra and these guys like making adjustments going into the next game and and it's and, kind of and, and, and it's not representative to me yep. of the NBA game. The NBA game is it's a player's game. You know, it's the players like, you know, you have these great strategies, but normally, you know, you got to work with what you're working with. That to me Mm -hmm. is what makes the NBA game unique. It's, you know, you got four games in five days. You got to (laughs) figure out how to play totally different on that last game than you did the very first game. That to Mm -hmm. me was the mental challenge of playing in the NBA. I got to work with the ingredients that I'm working with that day, Mm -hmm. you know. It's we don't we don't all get three days off in between games like in the conference play, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like the games are coming. Everyone knows they play four games a week. And you play and you figure out what you got next man up and you play. Mm-hmm. I, I like that because there's a there's an unknown. Something about it is just like I, I, I I'm comfortable in that very uncomfortable situation. The fact that I know okay, I got two games and the opponent is there and we're going to study the film and I can zero in on you. Like, that was fun in college. Mm-hmm. But in the NBA, I I don't want that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I get it. I think when I, when I watch the game today, these games remind me more of the like the ABA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, they're just, you know... It's just like everyone's just kind of it's, it's almost like this has been an extended version of 
preseason. Yeah. Like, you know, how do you score 147 points? <laughs> like, the, nothing against the Cleveland Cavaliers, but how do you get 147 points Yeah, against a team we're talking about that might win some of our picking to say they could get to the NBA Finals? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the scoring and the way the game is played, the coaches now certainly can game plan. And I'm not really sure that I, I, I don't like that. I, I, I don't I don't I don't like that. I, 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 I need more. Of, the NBA game is a game that's very sophisticated. It's a very sophisticated game. Mm-hmm. When I see the game being organized and now to a way where everyone plays the same, everyone looks the same, everyone defends the same. <laughs> Something about that loses its appeal with me because there's mm-hmm. no more creativity into the game. So everyone in the league is doing the exact same thing. Yep. Everyone in the league has the same idea. Well, it just seems odd to me because what made the game great was, you know, the Celtics played a certain way. The Lakers had showtime. Mm-hmm. The Pistons had a certain way the bulls played us the denver nuggets everyone had their little style Mm -hmm. it was all the nba basketball but everyone had their their style and the 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 happy median in between all of that the very best teams were the most physical teams yep (laughs) everyone Mm -hmm. understood if you were a good team and you got to the playoffs there was a certain level of physicality regardless of how you played Mm-hmm. that needed to be there in order to be a good team. I mean, and in the playoffs, I mean, usually, I mean, I don't know about last season, but usually we do see it revert back to that, right? I mean, we do see the teams try to add yes. the enforcer, add some physicality, like a Jay Crowder type personality to their roster for the playoff run. So we do see those deviations as soon as playoff time comes, but it does feel like, you, like you're saying, the the regular season is, a pre- is an extended preseason, and then we get to the postseason and everyone's trying to turn it on. And that's not a guarantee when you haven't been doing it and playing a certain way and have a style and identity. That's why the Lakers, I think, are so set to win the title because at least they have a defensive identity, you know, at some level. I don't know another team in the NBA that has a defensive identity. It surely isn't the Brooklyn Nets. They definitely don't have a defensive identity. The Lakers look like the – they look like the best team. Yep. You know, they they look like the team that is poised to go into a visiting arena – and be able to get one out of two games, if not both. They really yep. do. They really do. And they look calm and composed in those games. They look like they yes. can they can turn it on when they need to, which is kind of the they have. Side. There's no doubt about who and where the ball is going to go to. Yep. There's no doubt about how they're going to defend. Mm-hmm. They, all, they all know their roles, and they're working their minutes. They're not worried about who's in the rotation, who's out. They have a they have an identity right now, mm-hmm. and you could see the way they're playing on the road. That this team is poised to make another run at it. They really they they, you know I, I've seen that look before. They have that look. Yep, they have that look. I mean, they were outstanding last night versus the Bulls. They really came in. Chicago has been playing very well as of late. Yep. But the the Lakers 
made sure that they said, you know what? There's a difference between being good and wanting to be good. Mm-hmm. Well, the Bulls are, they are a team that want to be good. Mm-hmm. And that was a good lesson for the Bulls because they've had some very nice wins. I think the game before they went down there into Charlotte and won a game. They beat yep. the Dallas Mavericks on the road and they're playing perhaps some of their best basketball. But the Lakers are a totally different team in a different category. And they had like a 30, 30 point lead or so. <laughs> they're early yeah. in the game in the, in the first yeah. half. Yeah, and you had, uh, after the game, Kobe White and Pat Williams, Patrick Williams, the rookie for the Bulls, they were talking about how impressed they were. You know, it's kind of like they got, uh, like you said, they learned a left a, an NBA lesson of sorts because LeBron James was calling out their plays. Uh, the Lakers' defense was was basically calling out their sets. And Pat Williams was like, you know, it looked like LeBron had watched tape on us. And you talk about sending a message around the league when you have, you know, a team like the Lakers and you have the, you know, the media storms and narratives. People are like, you know, it's a Disney ring. It's a bubble ring. You know, LeBron James is a man on a mission with this team. Anthony Davis as well. Frank Vogel. They want to prove that they are a championship caliber team. And you prove that on the road. You know, you don't prove that at home. And uh, they obviously have been able to step up. And that's been great to see. I wanted to ask you, BJ, about one thing. You talked about, you know, the, the sophistication of NBA basketball. And I think there's such a pride that comes from, you know, obviously the players that have played the game and, you know, the, and the guys that are currently in the game. And, you know, the big the big news, the big drama in the NBA, the Kardashian drama, as Coach Sir like to call it, likes to call it, uh, this week was between Shaquille O'Neal, uh, you know, big Aristotle, um, and uh, Donovan Mitchell. And it was a, a moment in time that, you know, there was a lot of people talking about, you know, here's the problem with the current NBA and the past NBA. And, you know, they don't know how to speak to each other. And Shaq was being disrespectful and yada, yada, yada. We saw another moment earlier in the season with KD. Um, these guys on TNT are, you know, usually they're having a fun time. Uh, I don't think Shaq was trying to say anything other than motivate, you know, Donovan Mitchell to quote unquote be great. But Donovan Mitchell took it as him sliding him. I just wanted to get your take on just like those conversations, because it does seem like we're all getting a little too sensitive at times. Yeah, we are. But I think in this case and in many cases, I think these young people have an argument here. Yeah, they have an argument. They have an argument. And I think it's a very valid one. You know, Tate, um, now that I'm in my 50s, I take my age, I take that very seriously in this regard. Like, I really feel I have a responsibility, whether it's warranted or not, to make sure that I encourage the younger generation. For whatever reason, it made a big impression on me when I looked in my history and I said, all those players, Oscar Robertson, and Willis Reed, and Clyde Frazier, and Julius Irving, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, those players, what they did to make sure that they left the game in a better place for my generation. I appreciated that. For me as a young player, my one of my biggest moments, Tate, was, I think I've shared this story with you before. One of my favorite players growing up was Julie Zervin, the doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 
the claw, as yeah. I learned. They used to call him the claw. He yeah, was the yeah, original yeah, claw. Yeah, he, Kawhi, he, he Kawhi stole chance. it from him. And we played in the Philadelphia Spectrum. And I could, you know, it was like, you know, I'd only seen the Spectrum on television. The Philadelphia 76ers, the Spectrum, Julius, Dr. J, you know, I could, you know, I, I walked out on it. I'm trying to be cool, right? I'm in the Spectrum, Tate. I'm a rookie. I'm in the yep. Spectrum. I could mm-hmm. still, I could see that Dr. Dunk on Michael Cooper. I could, you know, I could see the late Lo- Moses Malone. One, I could, you know, the pin down to, for Andrew Tony, you know, mm. I could see, I, you know, I, I, I had seen all of those visuals on television, and here I am now, twenty one, standing at center court in the spectrum in Philly. Mm. We're playing the game, we play the game, and it was like a surreal moment for me, you know, like. I can remember the first time I we went to the Boston Garden like, in Madison Square Garden. These were places like my dad and I, we would talk about like, yep. the, you know, the, the forum in L.A., right? Mm-hmm. After the game, Tate, I'm walking to the bus. And as I'm walking to the bus, Julius Irving just comes out of nowhere. Tate, it was like a movie. Like, all of a sudden, <laughs> out of nowhere, there's this glow, there's smoke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's fog. <laughs> there's the fro. There's the doctor. <laughs> you know, it was like the it was like the the Mean Joe Green commercial. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I I I it was just perfect. Here I am, Tate, in the spectrum, walking to the bus, and it's just me and Julius, the doctor, Irving, just him and I. Mm-hmm. Tate, I froze. That's the doctor. Now, I was so... He didn't have to say anything. I just wanted to tell someone that I actually walked in the tunnel with Dr. J. He didn't have to say hello. He didn't have to say anything. My life was complete. Lo and behold to me, he starts talking to me. Hey, BJ. Now... The fact that he even knew my name, Tate made my life complete in that moment. For sure. Do you know how many times, Tate, I was at the park in places going, I was the doctor? Yeah. I tried to grow my hair like the doctor. (laughs) I wore my socks long like the doctor. (laughs) I spent my mom and dad's hard on morning on Converse shoes to be like the doctor. Mm. I wore wristbands like the doctor. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't pound the ball, Tate, but I would try to hold it with one hand like the doctor. (laughs) Doctor says, hey, BJ. And I turned around, Tate, and I was speechless. I didn't know if I was supposed to call him, hey, Doc. (laughs) (laughs) What's up, Doc? (laughs) Hey, hey, Julius. (laughs) Mr. Irving. <laughs> but all I can say was I gotta pay this man respect, Mr. Irving. Mm. And he starts talking to me. And I don't I kind of blacked out, like, God, this is the doc. He he shakes my hand and his fingers like went up to my elbow, right? I I, I do remember <laughs> that. I was like, I remember I looked down, like his, his hands were so big. <laughs> and I was speechless. And and I share this story because he made such an impression on me, not just because of what I'd seen on television, 
But, you know, just the fact that he knew my name. And the reason I'm sharing this story was the following. Now, the conversation after that was the most important conversation, probably one of one of the most important conversations of my career, because Julius Irving goes on to say to me in so many words, hey, BJ, I really I really like your game. Mm. You're going to be a really good player in the NBA. You're playing on a really good team. And he go, and we're just having literally, it was like a two minute conversation as I'm walking to the bus. And he just starts encouraging me to respect and to appreciate what I have. And he was like, You have an opportunity, young man, to win a championship. Was a very, he just starts talking to me. He wasn't talking down at me, he was just talking to me. And then the most unique thing happened to me that forever changed me was. We're sitting there. I mean, we're standing in front of the bus and I'm talking to Doc. I mean, you couldn't tell me nothing. I'm talking to the Doc. (laughs) And he's looking at me and I'm looking at him and I'm trying to be cool. And I'm not saying anything. I'm just listening. This kid comes up and he goes, hey, BJ. Now, we're in Philadelphia. He goes, hey, BJ, can I get your autograph? And I'm kind of embarrassed. I'm like... Man, this is the doctor right here, right? <laughs> you better like, get the doctor's autograph. This kid is, he, could have been, he couldn't have been more than like eight to 10 years old. Young yeah. kid. Hey, PJ, can I get your autograph? And he looks at the doctor and he says, hey, do you play? Wow. Now, that <laughs> woke me up from my dream. Mm. Doc being as smooth as he was, he laughs and he says, I used to play. And then his father comes up and his Father was like, I don't know if he was embarrassed or whatever. He was like, oh, this is Dr. Jason, da-da-da. And Doc signs it. He laughs. The kid walks away. And I'm, like, embarrassed. I'm like, the kid recognized me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm standing here with the doctor. <laughs> and he asked the doctor, and he says, BJ, that's the world you live in. He said, don't you ever forget to play this game with this sense of urgency. Because one day, that's going to be you. Mm. The doc, he took. The, I, I remember that's when I woke up. Is when that happened because I was like, "Oh, so I never forgot that moment." That the youth never forgot. The youth didn't recognize the doctor, one of the greatest ever. The power of the television, and all mm-hmm. of this happened within a minute. Yeah, but I got it. And not only did I got it, Doc pointed it out to me. He just said, every moment you just enjoy it. He goes, but well, one day that's going to be you. And from that moment on, Doc and I became friends. Every time I see him, he he, he gives me a hug. I give him a <laughs> hug. I, I, I just, I never forgot that moment. And the reason I'm sharing that moment is because I feel an enormous responsibility to make sure that I pass on to the next generation and encourage them to be the very best they can because it all yep. ends for us. It all ends for us at some point and it's going to end. But I have an enormous compassion for these kids and you never know who's looking up to who. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, these could be your heroes. Like, yeah. Shaq uh, uh, is yeah. a hero to these kids. Yep, for sure. Dr. J could have came up to me and said, BJ, you suck. And I couldn't have said anything. He yeah. could have said what, what, what Shaq said to Donovan Mitchell. 
It would have hurt you, and it, that's what it. It seems like it hurts because he again it, is your it, hero. It hurt, but hearing Doctor J just say a kind word to me, yeah, encouragement meant is... everything to me. Yep. So I know Shaq, and Shaq is look. Shaq is a good guy. Yep. He really is. He's got a big heart. He's a beautiful person. I've been knowing Shaq for years. You know, I remember when he first came in the league and played against him and. He's champion and all of the good work he does. So I don't want to take away from anything that's positive here. Yeah. But at the same time, you never know who's listening. These young people look up to us. And I say us, all of us, just like we looked up to the previous generation. Yeah. And what hurts me more than anything when I listen to that is that you can look at that young man, Donovan, and you can look in his in his face, and you can see how it's not a fan saying you stink. It's not like just anyone in the media who's getting on. You know, this is someone that you that's been in your profession. You know. Yeah, yeah. That one cut a little different. And Donovan Mitchell is a really, really. He's a really nice young man. I've gotten a mm-hmm. chance to know him. I've had clients who've played with him. They speak the best of him as a teammate, as a person. Yep. Quinn Snyder, I've known since high school. <laughs> the the GM and all of the people there in that organization speak. I know his parents. I had a chance to meet his family. You know, we all have shortcomings in our games we all do yep. there's there's never yep. been a perfect player never probably never will but that young man without question is being the best version of himself and <laughs> he deserves to hear that from us he deserves to hear that from us because every year he's improved every year he plays hard mm-hmm. every year he in the community and He's doing all of the things. And I just want the youth today to know that we we, we love them. Mm-hmm. They they need to hear that too. We love them. Yeah. Yep. Because yep. whether, you know, I I I came in this business as an agent and wanted to be an executive. But it's because I know how difficult it was and is to play. And be a professional. I know how difficult it is in life. Mm-hmm. It is important that those kids hear, I love them. And that someone loves you and someone cares. Because I do. Mm-hmm. I do. I don't care if I if I if you're my client or not. I love the game. I love you. And I'm, I'm rooting for all of those kids. Yep. And Tate, that hurt me is because I have kids. Mm-hmm. I have kids. No one loves my kids more than my wife and I. And sometimes kids do things that make you question (laughs) on whether they deserve that love. (laughs) Okay? And I can laugh at that. And vice versa, right? Yeah, yeah. But Tate, they deserve to hear that and to know that unequivocally. Yeah, to know that. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, the security of knowing that. So we all make mistakes. We all do things 
But Tate, they need to know that we all don't think that way. Yes, we have a job to do, and our job is to critique and say when they play well and they play bad. But they need to know where it's coming from. It's from a place of love. Yep. They need to know that. And Tate, I just want to say here that I love all of these kids. Mm-hmm. I love all of these kids. And the reason I love them, Tate, is because I know the difficulty of what that what, what that entails. Yep. And it's important that the youth know that their elders love them. Not to think yeah. that, but to know that. Mm-hmm. And that's important. And to know that we all don't think that way about them. And they need to hear that from us. And they need to hear and respect, know that we respect them. Because yep. the one thing, Tate, that I've seen over the years is that if there is no, if there is no trust, you can't have a relationship. Mm-hmm. And right now, Tate, I understand why these young people say what they say about the older generation. I really do. And I'm not happy to say that because I'm one of those older guys. <laughs> yep. I'm yep. one of those older guys. Mm-hmm. But sometimes I hear us say things and I go, man, have y'all forgotten how hard it is to get on that treadmill? Tate, I get on that treadmill every day. There used to be a time when I was on that treadmill, it was easy to run them 20 minutes. Yep. Tate. It's hard to go out there and play. Yep. It's hard to go out there and play 35, 40 minutes a night. Tate, we didn't have to deal with social media and all those things. And just by me being around the game, Tate, I have the utmost respect. I may not agree with everything they do. I want to say that. (laughs) Yeah. But I respect that to the point where I say, you know what? I want to continue the dialogue to learn and understand. And... Donovan Mitchell, if if you listening, you know what? Hey, man, we love you. You keep doing you because all we want for you, which the generation and Dr. J, when he gave it to me, is to know that, you know what? Somebody cares. Somebody Mm -hmm. understands. But more importantly, hey, man, we here for you. Yep. And that 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 that's what I want to say about that. And things happen because. That to me. That experience I had with Dr. J made such an impact on a young kid, a young, naive kid who didn't know anything about this league. Mm-hmm. And Donovan Mitchell is finding his way, and he's doing, in my opinion, a damn good job. And yep. I mean that. And I yep. and I mean that. And those kids need to know that, that we are pulling for them because there are so many things on the exterior that's not pulling for them they need to know at least when they see BJ. I can't speak for everybody. I'm pulling for them. I'm pulling for them yep. all to make as many baskets as they can. Make as much as money as you can. Give back to your communities, awareness, and all of those things. That's the vibe that they need to understand, and they need to know that. And they need examples of that and know that, hey, man, that's sincere. When they see mm-hmm. me, they know, hey, man, that dude is pulling for me. Yep. And uh, yep. I think that's important for all kids, but in particular, our own kids, because- those are our kids. Those kids, yeah. those kids are imitating what they saw on television, just like exactly. I was imitating what I saw on television. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, I think that's important for all of them to know. And and I just want them all to be the best version of themselves. Uh, one more thing, BJ, before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you: uh, the Lions get a new head coach. 
Oh. His name is Dan. His name is Dan oh. Campbell. He talks about oh. biting kneecaps. Uh, he oh. used to be a tight end for the Lions. Oh. You know how to just ruin my day. You know how to just ruin my day, don't you? You know how to ruin my day. What's going on? What's going on? You know how to ruin my day. You know. You know. You know what? You don't have to answer. If you yeah, don't want to. I'm not gonna answer. You know what? I'm not gonna answer. I'm gonna practice. I'm going to practice my own. If I don't have anything positive yeah. to say, just don't say anything. Yeah, I'm yeah. rooting for my Lions. Yep, I'm yep. rooting. I'm, 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 I'm with you 100. Mm. percent There wasn't the press conference I was looking for. Yeah, Matt Matthew Stafford also. He yeah, said he did not like that. He wants to get out of there. Yeah, now. he's like, you know I'm what? down to be traded. But you know what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what? You know what sucks about getting old, Tate, is you think you've seen it all. And then you realize you haven't seen it any. You haven't seen anything, <laughs> you know. And that's the way I felt when I was watching that. I was like, you know, okay, let me hear the press conference so I can, you know, let me grab onto something that's going yeah, to yeah. Get, get me excited about this. And let's go Lions and let's get ready. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say on that one. I was like, yeah, I didn't know what to say. And real funny is, you know, because my wife, she knows I'm a Lions fan and she and I just I'm, I'm in the torture chamber. Right. So she sends that to me. This is a true story. She sends that to me. She sends that to me this morning and we're laying in bed. We're laying in bed. She sends that to me. And then I text her back. She goes, really? I go, really? She goes, I'm right here. Why did you text me back? I go, because you know what? I don't have anything to say. And man, it was the biggest laugh. It was the biggest laugh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I don't know, Tate. I was, there's nothing to say. There's, yeah, nothing, to there's say. nothing to say. So you know what? We got 16 games. Yep. And let's, uh, and and hopefully, you know, maybe we all look back on it and say, that's what we needed. You know, yeah. bite, bite <laughs> a few kneecaps off. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I, all I know is I think if you bite a kneecap off, then then you probably are going to get respected by the older generation. You know what I mean? I don't think they're going to have a conversation that they want to have with you after that. But uh, we'll see. We're pulling for the Lions. Uh I hope that they figure it out. BJ, this has been another great episode of Pushing oh, Through. I, I, I appreciate you sharing the stories. <laughs> Uh, whew, hopefully no more kneecaps will be hurt uh, in man, the future. I don't have any cartilage <laughs> in my knees, so you don't don't come get my knees. These are bad knees. <laughs> I got bad knees. Get some good knees. You go bite some kneecaps off. Get some good ones at least. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you go. Pushing through. We appreciate you. We'll be back on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. And uh, again, we'll see you next week. 